0: Welcome to Liminaries the podcast, the ultimate destination for all things lighting and production design. I'm your host, Christopher Bolton, and I'm thrilled to be your guide through the fascinating world of cutting-edge software and lighting design methodologies. In today's episode, we have the privilege of welcoming Christophe Blancard, a seasoned veteran in the live events, stage production and lighting industry. Respected by his peers as one of the top EDM lighting designer and operators in the world, with two decades of hands-on experience under his belt, Christoph brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the table. Currently serving as production manager and lighting designer for Timmy Trumpet, Christoph is instrumental in ensuring every performance is nothing short of spectacular. Christophe's dedication to his craft extends beyond the stage as he actively shares his insights and skills through operator classes in Dubai. Having worked with esteemed acts such as Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds, and of course Black Wave, Christophe's portfolio speaks volumes about his professionalism and proficiency in the field. Join us as we delve into Christophe Blancard's remarkable journey. This is Luminaries the Podcast, where the spotlight is on learning. Christoph Blancard, geez, welcome to the show, buddy. I think the last time I saw you was when we did uh, Jamie Cullum together in Spain.
1: Yes, that's true. It's it's been a few years. It was back corona, I think, even. It was. With it the was. mouth masks and all that crazy stuff.
0: Oh my word, I forgot about that. I think I've blocked that stuff, that stuff out. So thank you so much for being on the show. I think if you if we could start off by you maybe just telling our listeners a little bit how you got into this crazy game.
1: So actually, like 20 years ago, when I was still a high school student, we were with some friends. We partied a lot, but it was very expensive back in the day. So we started our own DJ team and I was one of the DJs at the beginning also. But my interest got lost into the real DJing, and not but not into the music. So that's when I started started into this lighting thing for events and parties that we that we organized and everybody was laughing with it fun hey why you're gonna do something with the lights you can never have a career in any in anything and now these days i sometimes see those guys still and they're all like oh we could have been more wrong (laughs) you have the craziest (laughs) life ever and we are here in our small village amazing so actually yeah it was for the free beers and just for fun actually
0: that's where it started so you, so you didn't actually do necessarily any formal training on the job you basically worked your way up and got yourself to where you are now yeah. just by loading the truck offloading the truck hanging the lights taking the lights down
1: yeah that's that's where i started and then we had this thing here in belgium it's college thing but back then it was the, the movie academy actually. And there was a lighting part in that also, so I I joined that. It was a three year thing. It was a lot of history and all theoretical courses, and I got lost in it. And I was like, oh, fuck this shit!" So I quit it with that. I started working in a regular nine to five job, and during the weekends, I started working in clubs and at lighting rental companies. And just we didn't have offline visualizers or software on the PC. You really need to get your hands on a desk somewhere. Well, I think in those days,
0: I don't even think we had proper moving lights. It was the old scanners and and stuff like that, you know?
1: Yeah, the golden scans and the Mac
0: That's 500 a... and 600. Oh, my word. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's hard work to get to where you are, my friend, from starting out as a DJ. I know because I did the whole DJ thing in the beginning. But, you know, if you had to think back, like, what's one of your fondest memories, which is one of the the memories that really sticks in your mind for when you first maybe got a, a good opportunity or when you were a youngster, what sticks in your mind?
1: Yeah, there's always always this one thing. I always worked for, for DJs or with our own DJ team. And then suddenly there was this thing with the cover band, a local one. And they were like, hey, come over, push some buttons. And I'm like, okay, what can go wrong? And I arrived at that gig and they didn't tell me, but it was massive. So it was with a <laughs> with a giant matrix of bars and with the with the Martin matrix controller back in the days from cases oh and stuff. And I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" <laughs> but I, I pulled it through. It, it it went it went good, and I, I liked it. And that's when it all got
0: weird and bigger. Jeez, the Martin case, eh? Hey, that that brings back a lot of memories. So I've obviously you know I've been friends for a while, so i've been I've been following your travels all over the world in lots of very interesting aircraft. Do you keep track of how many flights you do?
1: Yes, I do. I actually, I have an app on my iPhone for it. Okay, it's called the app in the air it's It's amazing uh-huh. because it also tells you the delays and all that stuff. App in the air.
0: I'll check that out yeah.
1: It can't track the private flights, so it's, it does only the commercial ones. And it says that I was for 316 hours in an airplane last year.
0: 316 hours. Oh my gosh, that is so much. Can you believe it? It's still missing, I guess, 80 flights or something. And that's with Timmy mostly that you've been flying in the in the private jets, right?
1: Yeah, so last year... Most of the year was Timmy Trumpet, but I also was LD for Dimitri Vegas like Mike. Okay. So I already also did a lot of trips for them and then the occasional trips to Dubai to give the trainings, updates in the clubs.
0: So um, like, I'm pretty I'm sure you can tell some pretty wild stories about what happens in those private aircraft in between places, eh?
1: Actually not. <laughs> I'm, I'm the king of sleeping in planes. <laughs> oh, there we go, there we go.
0: I wanted to ask you: How many countries do you think you've worked in? Have wow. you ever worked it out? How many countries? How many cities? I know you've just finished a big tour in South America.
1: Yeah, I also have an app for that. Oh, of, <laughs> it's called and I've I've worked at this moment at 63 countries worldwide.
0: Wow, that's amazing! That's a big number.
1: Yeah, it's it's big. But now everything starts to get repetitive. Like it's hard to to add more numbers to it. But I'm still waiting for Australia. Do you ever
0: get any time off to actually go and walk around and have a look at stuff?
1: Yes, I always try. It's such a heavy schedule that I'm doing. So last year I wasn't flying back home. I was like... Oh, in two days, I need to be at the other side of the world. So I chose my city like, oh, I've never been there. So I stayed there for one or two days and then I moved on without going home. That's amazing. That's what I I did a lot. Like last year, we we visited. The, The club owner gave us a gift like, hey, I've got a nice city trip for you guys. And then suddenly we were on the top of Mount Everest.
0: Wow, I saw that. That was amazing. And tell me something, was that Was that the guys from
1: Dubai? No, that was a guy, they have a club in Nepal, and it was like, we thought they were shitting around, like, yeah, yeah, they're making fun of us. But we were like, let's wake up and see what happens. Wow. And suddenly there was a car and there was a plane and there was a helicopter. And That's amazing. It's the best experience ever.
0: If you don't follow Christophe Blancart, you really should go follow him on Facebook. He does some of the most interesting things and, and, and shows. But out of all the countries you've been, the places you've worked, which is your favorite country, would you say? I know it's difficult to choose one, but which is one that really sticks out? Keeping in mind, you haven't been to Australia.
1: Yeah, that would be... <laughs> That's one of the most favorite to go to at the moment. I always love to go to South America because I love the food over there. We did a thing in Sicily in a huge amphitheater, which had the craziest view ever in open air. Amazing. The bird's nest in China is also, it's China. It's difficult, but it's still the bird's nest.
0: Yes, Olympic Games venue. It's the coolest place ever. That's amazing. That's amazing. I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. Shah a couple years ago when we did our training course in China and we we managed to fly to Beijing and meet him. And he's actually in his office got this golden model of it that they obviously gave him for his work at the Olympic Games. It was quite special to meet him. So I understand what you're saying. Out of all the places you've worked, which of the local crew did you enjoy working with the most?
1: That's also a difficult one. Because here the European crews are like very professional and we've got all the tools we want. We've got everything, at whatever we need here in Europe. But if you go out of Europe, I think South Africa was one of the most pleasant to work with. The guys had decent equipment, but they were like very motivated to learn, to help us further. It was a very smooth ride over there. So I, I think that's one of the best.
0: Well, uh, that's fantastic to hear. I think that's probably got a lot to do with why 90% of all the South Africans are now living in either Dubai or Saudi Arabia because they are popular as hard workers and committed people. And and that's, that's a wonderful thing to hear. And I'm pretty sure all the South Africans back home listening to the podcast right now are very proud of what you just said.
1: You don't expect it. Everybody's like, oh, Africa, Africa. But actually, like Cape Town was one of the nicest places I've ever visited.
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic. The nature is so cool. Yeah, it really is. I do miss it a lot.
1: So I can understand that. <laughs>
0: so to jump into the more, you know, technical bits and bobs about your your career, you've done some unbelievable shows. It's shows that people would give their left arm to do. Out of all this unbelievable stuff that you've done, what is your favorite gig annually and
1: why? My favorite one is here actually in Belgium. It's the Rave Rebels techno thing. It's a huge techno setup. The client gives gives me and, and the team like uh, whatever we need. Like when we want to experiment with robots, they give us robots or they give us a lot of motion. Whatever we want to experiment or create something special with it, they always reserve the budget for it. So I think that's that's the one to I'm always looking out for.
0: Brilliant. But you know what? I've seen some of the photographs and actually on on my page, we're going to post some of the photos of some of the stuff you've done. I was always so fascinated by that gig in particular because it just so impressive. And you can see that you guys have got carte blanche and you can actually just like creatively go completely nuts how many people are at grave rebels
1: i believe it's eighteen thousand. so it's uh i think it's a 16 hour way yeah it's 16 hours and the next edition is coming up in april and we're already uh planning production for that one
0: i very much look forward to seeing the photos i'm sure it's going to be epic as it always is
1: yeah it's, it's it's one of the craziest things
0: So I think I know the answer to the next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because it's kind of the formats of the show, trying to teach the younger people. How do you keep your skills up to date? Which formats and where do you find the information that keeps you on the cutting edge?
1: So I try to go a lot to trade shows because those are the places where you can meet And hook up with a lot of operators in the world or lds you meet everyone there and there you most of the time spent like a few hours at the ma lighting booth to meet people to see what their workflow is what my workflow is it's super funny because i started building here in belgium i was one of the first ma3 guys Me and my friends, we merged our MA2 show, Fall into the Tree one. And now recently I opened the MA3 on PC software and I just opened the demo start show they have. And it's like actually our start show. You're joking. No. Uh, Like the LOS system that's in there now, it's the live operating system. That one was designed by me and Cedric.
0: I know Cedric Enderman. I know he's also up and coming. I'm hoping to have him on the show a little bit further down the line as well. So I suppose that brings me to my next question is, uh, I know you've been working on MA3. You were one of the original guys to switch to MA3. Uh, how did you find the transition initially? It was very
1: difficult. And sometimes it still is because the, the software is currently still under huge development. They released already a lot of cool shit. But the thing that's still going a little bit wrong, and I've been talking to M.A. about that as well, is like the personality, like the the picture profiles. The worst thing ever at the moment. In some countries, you just get the knockoff lights, like the Chinese brands. And then it's really a pain in the ass because it's not easy to write a personality in one, two, three all the new features they have now are just like the recipes and stuff. It's it's so amazing.
0: Do you ever use the GDTF fixture builder to create your profiles or do you try and build them directly yes. in MA3?
1: I do the first draft in MA3, then I export it into the GDTF builder and then there will I make the, the last adaptations, the fine tuning actually, okay. like adding images, adding 3D models and stuff. But it, it yeah, it takes a lot of time. It's not like... Oh, you've got this. Give me a DMX sheet, and you do it in one, two, three. No, it's not.
0: It's a, it, I'm, I actually spent a bit of time at the last over the last week building a building a drone. Uh, it started in GDTF and then brought it into MA3. And and like you say, there's one or two things about it that I'm not happy with. But I think there, from some of the questions I've asked MA, there are going to be some solutions coming our way. In particular, I find working with sixteen bits is becoming a little bit a uh, bit more complicated. Yeah, I know that you do still use MA2 on occasions. Is, is this a preference or is this just availability of hardware in some of the locations?
1: No, it's it's availability. I will never run a show on MA2 again if I don't need to. Okay. Because my new start show on on MA3 is it's super, super fast. But yeah, in some countries, it's, it's very difficult to get the MA3 hardware or the system if they also have the... M- MA3 MPUs and all that stuff like the boards is easy to find but the backbone the, mm. the the PUs and stuff that's that's the issue most of the time
0: and i suppose it's also cuz of the size of the rigs that you're working on it's always a thousand plus whatever fixtures and and you need all the MPUs and the and the racks for that so so what you're saying is the boards are more available but the actual hardware behind it it's not
1: yeah the, the local companies everywhere i go where when I see my rider, they're like, Ah, MA3, ah, for MA2 software. No, and I'm like, no, MA3 software. Yeah, are you real? And then they ask the question, like, are you really gonna do it? Because it crashes and this and that, and I'm like, it it doesn't crash. Yeah. I'll show you. It's the most um, it's the biggest
0: misconception at the moment. And I, I recently trained a bunch of guys in Adelaide uh, from a company called Novatech, and they are now all running M A threes, all of them, and they have not had one crash. We've the I, we I always start a support group for my guys so that we can help each other out, and there's been no problems whatsoever. One or two little things that MA got back to me on very quickly. So I think people are just because of how it started are so petrified of of potentially risking of risking a A failure the I suppose at the end of the day the cost of the of the units you know they're not cheap
1: no, they're definitely not cheap and you can you can say everything about about m a three I hear a lot of bad things about it, but it's most of the time from people who never worked on m a three It's like if you actually worked on it yet, no, but this guy said this, and this guy said that, and then I'm like. Yeah, but then actually you should shut your mouth because you don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: I've been doing huge shows on, on this platform for like two years already, I guess. And I've mm. never had an issue. Yes, sometimes you need to do a workaround because the feature isn't there yet. But it works. You just have to be a little bit creative sometimes. So this kind of... Answers my
0: next question, I suppose. Would you recommend that other users take the plunge into MA3?
1: Yes, for sure. Everybody should take a dive in it. And we also have like like groups and we on WhatsApp and Facebook and we all help each other further with it. And if you got the chance, just do it. Even if it's a small show, I'm not saying you have to, when you, your big show is coming up, oh, I'm going to switch that's what I don't recommend but for sure the smaller gigs and and build it up go bigger and bigger and bigger and you will see when you've done a few shows you will never go back again
0: absolutely I, I think that's also if you can get the training done the training I found when I when I did the train the trainer program I yeah. I straight away was okay bye bye ma2 because ma3 is the way to go. Let's talk a bit about how you go about designing a tour. You know you're going to travel with it. Clearly, not all the venues will be as big. Or will you have the same type of fixtures even? How do you plan so that you don't have to reprogram the show in each city?
1: On ma 3 the recipe structure is the key in, in this story. If I have the same fixtures, I just can expand my groups, my grid selections. And it's a done deal. And if I have tomorrow, I just need to update here and there the presets, the grid selection. And everything works. The effects work. Everything works. Even if I have 100 lights today, 1,000 tomorrow, and 10 the day after, it will all look the same with the same timings like it should. Yeah, if you're going to do a club tour with all different rigs, you should definitely go for the MA3. No questions asked. So tell me,
0: the MA Start show that we have access to within the MA3 system, is that the exact same show that you're using or have you developed yours a bit further along the line?
1: We've developed it a little bit further here and there. Like we have a custom plugin that makes our uh, grid selections from our, directly straight from our layouts. So we've got a little bit of tweaks here and there. But when you open it up, even the colors, the icons, they're exactly the same as we built it two years ago. Is that uh, a
0: plugin that's commercially available now?
1: Yes, I will send a link to you.
0: Absolutely, please do. And I'll make the link available to the listeners so that they can have a look at it.
1: Yeah, it's Control-C. He's making a lot of plugins at the moment. And this layout of Grid is one of them. And he only asks a few dollars for it. But it's definitely worth it because it's it works super great. That's
0: fantastic. I know from us chatting that you have some incredibly powerful macros that you use that helps you get ready for the show. If there are no issues with the rig, how long does it take you before you show ready from walking in the door? Updating presets, etc. etc.
1: That was on MA2. Yes, I did have a macro that created all the sequences, all the chasers. Literally everything in a few minutes. So I just need to make groups and presets. That was all I need to do. Now on MA3, yeah, I just need to update the groups because my template is already there. Everything is there. The thing is with the stuff I do, like the DJ touring, we only get like two hours on the rig itself. Like we have, we've got two hours to make the show work. If it's 100 pictures or 1,000. So that's not a lot of time to to pull it. It's not. It's really not. I try to prep for an hour or two at the hotel. I always ask for a 3D studio time for like one hour and then one or two hours on the set, depending on what's possible, and then it needs to be done.
0: So when you say offline studio, are you obviously with MA3, you're just using the onboard MA3 visualizer system, or do you still prefer to work with Pens?
1: I'm a huge fan of Pens and Capture, okay. and I I juggle between those two.
0: Okay, like okay.
1: The most festivals in Europe, they have the dpens system in-house, and I travel currently with Capture. I have Pens at home in my home studio but i don't want to carry too much laptops around because i'm running on a macbook and i yeah. see i see have you managed to write any similar
0: macros on ma3 successfully yet
1: yeah i've recreated literally everything i had before i must say that you don't need a lot of those anymore the recipe system is like super super strong so I could throw away already a lot, but all the things that weren't there yet, I recreated them in the in the first few weeks already. I guess. Okay. It's okay. it's actually the same language almost, just a few keywords that changed. But yeah, that's it.
0: Now, I know from having done a couple of shows with you in the past and just being good friends with you that you're not just a lighting programmer and operator and and a designer, but you actually on most occasions take control of all the moving parts of the show, the machinery, the lasers, the effects, even the pyros. Do you have extra arms or do you maybe want to share with the listeners why and how you possibly manage all this data?
1: The why is, is pretty simple because I love all entertainment show techniques and I, I was interested in every piece of them for my entire life. So whenever I got some free time, I was like, oh, I'm going to teach myself Resolume or visualization software or Pangolin for lasers or the Pyro control system. So my knowledge is, is pretty wide. And that's also a good thing when you go on tour, when you ask for something at the house guy, like, hey, can you make me this? And then you know when they're fucking around with you because you know it from yourself, like, yes, this can be done. And when they say like, no, it's not possible, then I jump in and I'll just do it for myself because I have a clear vision of how the show is and managing all those disciplines in a show. I handle it because... I have a lot of automatization going on. Like on the touring shows, the lasers would run on time codes. You pre recorded tracks through a show control. The effects and the pyros are just, yeah, it's just a show calling system. So, and that's how I combine everything. And then I link everything together in the MA board as well. Like on Ray Rebels, all the lights are tracked through BSN. So the motion is linked to the desk, the lasers are linked to the desk because I want to switch on lasers and lights should go off. And sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself.
0: I suppose from a timing point of view as well, you don't have to get everyone to, to be in sync. It's you. Yeah. So when you, when you hit the button, it's going to do everything at the right time for you.
1: That's actually the most important thing. Most of the time, you're the only guy who knows the music, who knows what's going to happen. And it's a lot of data to handle into your head. And it's a lot of stress most of the times. But the effect is just the best, actually. I'm not saying to everybody, like, hey, cut down everyone. But Or you create a big team that goes on tour. But in some countries, you can't take any chances. Like yeah. in Asia, you can't just say like, "Oh, I'll cue the laser dude because you will see rainbows from beginning till the end." <laughs> that is so true. I, I know having
0: worked in Asia, it's not easy, but in particular China, because of the language barrier, it's very difficult to to get the information across.
1: that's that's the big point. And in South America, it's the same. So in those countries where I don't where I know the language barrier is going to be an issue. I try to grab most of the controls, but when I'm pretty sure that everything will work out, then I'll just leave it to the guys who are on site. But I'm also a licensed pyro guy, a licensed laser operator. So that's that's what saves me a lot in, in these strange countries.
0: I also know you like to develop your own machinery, like robots and you know, all kinds of insanely cool stuff. And I know this ties back to to the rave rebels giving you guys a, a blank check if you want to say that but what drives your your constant innovation
1: the biggest thing is actually that i want to develop myself into like the light, lighting art installation industry because that's like a big passion of mine and i'm just experimenting with all these different techniques and disciplines and linking robots with laser heads on top of them or video projectors or make the robots interactive with, with videos, mappings on buildings. And that's the thing we're actually experimenting with at Ray Rebels to actually put it on light festivals in the next two years. Like we've done some tests with drones and all that shit, which went a little bit wrong. Uh, because of <laughs> yeah. not with the pyro drone itself that was perfect but with licensing and permits everybody was scared of it nowadays in dubai everybody's doing it but that's a little project that yeah that got lost a little bit but that's yeah that's actually the main concept like combining all these technologies that nobody expects and then yeah, entertain people with it, like Entertain families, people who are not familiar with event industry, even make interactive installations. That's that's the big goal for when I'm old.
0: Isn't that what's beautiful about our, our industry? Is it's it's capturing someone's imagination? You know, and like you say, even if it's a young child at a museum or it's a person on the dance floor, you know, looking at just being overwhelmed by the emotion of, of the art of what it is we do.
1: Yeah, to bring them in another world, I guess. That's that's the thing. We are now planning on a concept phase on installation. And it's like when we used to go down to museums back in the days on school, it was oh look, a painting. Yeah, which is very cool because what they did back in the days was amazing. But now with all this digital art you can do and all those special things connected to each other and I think that's that's just
0: fun. That sounds amazing. I know that you are obviously well versed in all the different types of tech. You know, what would you say is your current weapon of choice? Is there any specific lights or software or hardware that you really think is at the cutting edge?
1: For lights, when I do the outdoor shows, I'm a huge fan of the Ayrton range, because they're they're all IP, the power, the gobos, it's, it's fucking crazy, actually. They are more expensive, but that what they have been doing throughout the years, which they started with the Magic Blades and all that shit, it's just crazy. And for indoor, yeah, we do have a lot of Roby here in Europe, actually all over the world, which you can get in large amounts. So those are my favorites for desks. Of course, it's the MA lighting range. For the special projects we use like stage precision. They use on Eurovision as well. It's a very customizable tool, which is also very expensive, but that's the tool we use for the robots connecting to the Maze. I choose yeah, I choose the equipment what I need on that gig, especially like today I might need dominoes or cobras, but tomorrow it might be a mega point or or something else. I'm not married with a manufacturer or with a light. I just see what gives the best purpose for what it needs to do.
0: I know that you you work in lots of different industries and you work in, I know you've done a lot of stuff in TV, but you know, this this episode in particular, I wanted to focus on your EDM successes, but what would you say is your dirty little secret to being so unbelievably popular in the EDM scene?
1: Dirty little secrets. I've got a. Good timing, musically. Like, I can feel the music. I know when I never heard a DJ play before, it's like I know what he's going to do without even ever hearing any of the songs. I can't explain it, actually. And and everybody is amazed at it. Like, we did a, a show with with Trumpets uh, two weeks ago in Japan, and they literally made a new track uh, 30 minutes before show. Wow. And they play the track in the set and I hit every accent, every little thing on the track. And he's like, how the fuck did you do that? You never heard this thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. I, I, I can't explain. It's 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 crazy. Do you and, think it's maybe um,
0: because you started as a DJ that you actually have that natural timing of matching beats and, and knowing when to drop on the break?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, it was something that needed to grow. Like I know in the beginning I didn't have it. Uh, I had it a little bit, but during the, the last 10 years, it's, it's got into crazy proportions actually. When you hear the new tracks, EDM music is also like a structural music thing. It's always the same. And sometimes there are some, Crazy DJs who do, do crazy edits with fake drops and all that shit, but even then you can you can manage to to feel it coming. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, a, yeah, feeling. it's, it's, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. It's just a feeling that you need to learn and you need to learn your artist what he likes, and then you can already predict the future a little bit. Like if you know he's gonna remix something, and you know like hey, these are the types of kicks he likes or synths he likes then you, you can already make the song in your heads because you know what he will be doing. Perfect.
0: Um, so I suppose the previous question ties in quite well with the answer you've just given. A lot of your success is owed to your personal relationships that you've built over the years with the creatives, promoters, artists. I know you're currently jetting all over with Timmy Trumpet, who's Australian, by the way, and I can't believe he hasn't come back home to do a show with us down here. I can't wait for that. But do you have any favorite artists or DJ that really, really rock your boat? Like something that you just get so excited about?
1: There are a few. I loved working with, with rock bands like The Cave and the Bad Seas. That was really fun. For DJs, I also loved working with... I love working more with the, like the less known artists, less known DJs, because they're... It's easier to work together with them because they are new in the scene. They they also want to do the big show. They want to discover what's possible. So you get more creative freedom with the artists.
0: So that's actually so, the most fun. So they're more approachable. They're more keen to work with yeah. you as opposed to being uh, too fancy to, you know, talk to the tech yeah. crew. Well, I got that. That yeah. makes sense. It's uh,
1: it's always more fun to grow with an artist. Than to enter the team when artist is already big.
0: Yeah, yeah, so yeah. To try and make your mark. Still,
1: yeah, there, there are still a few gigs on my bucket list item, but we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs>
0: well, we're watching this space. What is your approach to dealing with tough customers? How do you balance what's possible with their expectations?
1: That's actually a very difficult one. Because it's always it's always the the battle that's always all over the world. Like it's always budget versus expectations. That that's always the big deal, maker or breaker. On some projects where we have like let's say the blank check, like on the rave rebels, everything needs to work because they are giving so much production time, so much testing time. And then it just needs to work. And it gives, it's, it speaks into long working hours to get it done most of the time. It gets really difficult when you're cut to a tight budget and the client is expecting the world to move. Then I'll try to explain, like, hey guys, if you want to do this, that's the time we need. If you want to do that, that's the time we need beforehand, even. Like, that's what we also do with Core on Tomorrowland
0: and with all those other big shows. So you actually manage expectations up front um, to yeah. try and avoid having situations when you're actually in production.
1: Yeah, you always... Sometimes situations occur during production, but you all I always try to avoid them um, booking pre-visualization time in it, like the client can see a little bit of rendering, like how it looks. And if he's like ah, not what I expected, then you can still make changes to the design to the programming. But when you're on site a day before show, you're tight. You you can't do a lot anymore. Like you're yeah, you're fucked. You actually,
0: <laughs> what it is, it's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. So I know we spoke earlier about what your dirty secret is, and you mentioned timing. Um, I'd like to ask. How would you explain your approach to programming for musicers? I, I know that mostly you 100% busking live for these events because you have to feel the music. But if anybody saw that, they wouldn't be able to tell. And in my opinion, it always looks like it always looks like it's time coded. But what would you say is your secret if you were to share some tricks with with listeners, with the younger guys? How should they structure their show to program specifically for music?
1: Yeah, like every yeah, every music genre got its special, got a different programming approach with me. For this EDM thing, everything is like I split everything up, like I have like a fader for each group of lights that just as a dimmer. I have this live operating system, which you can now see in the Grand MA demo start show which is very highly flexible and i always have like the buttons on the sides to build up with a slow effect another one with fast effects with strobing effects so you can always go build up and build up and build up and build up until that drop comes and i think that's actually the key of it like i can make 1000 combinations out of my start show on the spot and I'm not tired when I see when I go to France and I, for instance, I, there are more countries that do that, but France comes up into my mind because I've been doing a club there, and they had actually had like one fader with all parameters in it, like this is for <laughs> the, this is for the build up, this is for the break, this is for, and for the drop, but it always looks the same because they just. Yeah are so limited to their choices and the system that i use and that ma is recommending now that's just highly flexible and you can just change and combine and yeah create cool shit on the spot while you're actually doing it i'm not fixed to a fixed programmation thing like that fader does this mm. everything is in my show
0: file so how how do you keep your tempo? Is it tap tempo? Are you tapping the tempo into the console, or do you or using the audio inputs to keep the structure to keep the to keep the effects in time?
1: I never use the audio inputs. I even wouldn't know how how it works. Uh, we have the show control system inside uh, the front of house, but that's then just if we automate lasers or show call, either It I even never watch on that screen actually. But it's always I tap the tempo, or it's just all manual bumps.
0: Okay, so it's just, manual bumps. So yeah, you do, so slime. so when you're
1: doing a strobe,
0: for example, is it a chase effect? I know they phases now, but I'm using old old terminology. Is it the so the phaser? Are you using the actual shutter of the of the fixture, or are you using a chase that is making it making the beam flash? I suppose at the at the yeah. tempo song.
1: It it depends on the fixture again. Some fixtures. handle the shutters pretty well some other you need to create on dimmers so that's always a little thing i need to search but i have like i call them the stopper buttons like it's just individual timing like when i hit it all lights go from left to right or right to left or inside out or out to in they got like fixed timings on those and with EDM, if you switch it to 0, 0. 0.4 seconds in and 0. 0.4 seconds out, like 0. 0.8, then you have a good base tempo for for those stoppers and droppers things. And I have a lot of those buttons with also a little bit of a rate master on it, so I can speed them up if BPMs go higher or slow them down if the BPMs go less. So that's I use that those buttons a lot with fixed timings, individual timings and individual effects, like single shots, actually, like just press it, it goes in the perfect timing. And then I'll just manually bump again with other buttons that do a chase stroke or a, or a dimmer or a color chase. Share with
0: us, what is one of your biggest highlights in your career? The biggest thrill of your incredible journey?
1: There were so many. Let's pick two out of them. I am I must say the, the TV show we did in the Bird's Nest in China, that literally was the biggest thing I ever did because it, it was huge and it's already, I think, six or seven years ago. So that is still, when I see those pictures, I'm still like, wow. How, how did I pull that one off? And then there was another thing which I actually didn't know a lot about, but I just went in and it was like the expo in Milan. You might know that gig, The Tree of Life, was with a Belgian designer. And I even didn't know what I was walking into. And suddenly there were like hundreds of water fountains with lights and lasers and moving heads and everything was on the MA. And I needed to update all the shows because they were going to reopen it for, for another exposition or something. But the result was so cool and I've I've never done something like that again. And I'm still waiting for another one like that, actually. Awesome. With mountains and lights and with all disciplines, all perfectly scripted.
0: So you also, like well, like myself, definitely not a busker. I used to be a DJ and I can also flash a bit if I need to, but my passion always been time coding and getting it to be absolutely perfect. And I suppose you've just given me two good examples of different types of shows that one would be technically perfect and the other would be being able to listen to the music and interpret what a DJ does live. And that's what makes you so talented, I suppose, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah that yeah you learn a lot from that and yeah it's just fun I also love to do the time code things I was always like the time code shows everybody who can program a lighting desk can make a time code show because even a monkey could do it if a monkey can know how to program an MA he can do it
0: so you say you enjoy time code if you had to choose between doing it live or having to time code do you have a preference
1: yes I always choose live I even got a few clients of me that are standing next to my desk. I even... There are some videos of, of shows of mine that are online on YouTube. And then a lot of people are like, oh, it's not live. The DJ is playing a mix and everything is time-coded. Look, the lights are perfectly sync. It's impossible. And then I used to respond like, no, it's not. And then they're like, how do you know? And like, yeah, I was a guy doing it. <laughs> I love that. So... <laughs> I always prefer live. I also like time code because in time code, you can always go next level. You can yeah. do a little bit more, but it also takes a lot of th- more time.
0: Maybe you can also share with us some of those links, Christoph, of the stuff that you're proud of. And I can actually put it on my website on, on, yeah, underneath sure. with, your fo- with your photographs, which so that the listeners can see some of the stuff you're talking about. Now for something personal. Being away from Belgium as much, how do you maintain your personal relationships? Is there a potential Mrs. Blancard waiting back home? Or have you got a family established on each continent?
1: (laughs) We've got a a family on each continent, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm home, I always try to visit all my friends or see the best friends. And I keep contacts with, I think, at least five or six of them in Belgium all the time. Yes, yeah, since I'm actually never in Belgium, except for now. I I guess a few weeks now. I've always yeah. I learned a lot of to know a lot of people around the around the planet. So everywhere we go now, you always meet someone or meet have new friends over there, and it's a special situation. That's Let's awesome. call it wasn't
0: like that. It's, it is a global family, I suppose, that you are part of.
1: Yeah, and the, the, the touring team, it's always the same. Like, we are just now with Timmy Trumpet, it's a small team. We are just with five persons. Timmy and Mike, we were with eight, I believe. The other shows I did, like, when we do the core shows, yeah, it's a huge team. But it's always the same people that you're on the road with. And and that's what makes it fun. You, Yeah, I know those guys. As good as I know my family or my best friends that I've known my entire life here. That's amazing.
0: Taking equipment failure out of the equation, have you ever made a mistake on a gig that's really got you into trouble? And how did you deal with the repercussions that came after that? Now, I'm not talking about missing a beat or something. I'm talking about proper
1: mistake. Proper fucking up. Yep. Hmm. Now I have to think, actually.
0: There's always that one experience that jumps to mind where you were like so embarrassed. Oh my god, I can't believe I did that. I once put
1: the Pepsi colors on a Coca-Cola Congress ah. in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that will do it. That was uh but it was without a thought. It was like it was there like I I made all the scenes in red and blue because of blue for the house lights. I thought it's cool for a. An ancient setting and then spots in red yeah it's it's it always works and then the thing started and it was like yeah i missed that that came up because yeah mm-hmm. the guys came and it was like hey this is not pepsi and i'm like
0: fuck <laughs> that's very uh, funny that's very so very funny maybe
1: that that's that's one of the things Um uh, yeah the drone story it's it's also a special story that keeps following me because I was on the right track with that, but we ran out of time. We, we invested a shitload of money, and now it's nowhere because the supplier fucked us over.
0: Maybe you want to elaborate a little bit on, on the drone story you're talking about.
1: With the drones, we want to make them also interactive. Like the first phase I was just flying informations what everybody's been doing the last years. The second phase was that they would launch fireworks up in the sky, which we also managed to do. And the third phase was like actually that robots from the ground with lasers on them could track the drone fleet. So they would follow and shoot laser beams at the drones and then the fireworks should ignite and all that shit. But we got into a lot of technical issues and we invested a lot of money in it and the deadline was getting closer and closer and closer for that project and we need to blow it off like three three weeks before the project was supposed to launch after an investment of like thousands of euros and now the project is nothing and that client who is still a big client of mine on on other on other disciplines he's still laughing with it like no, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. And I'm like, no, it didn't. And I'm still stressed out about that part. That's, that was the one big failure that actually never happened before. And he's laughing with it, like, hey, you didn't pull that one off. And I'm like, yeah, but if you don't shoot, you will always miss the target.
0: I have no doubt that you're still going to go back to that and you're still going to go and fix that problem and make that happen.
1: Yeah, but at this moment... The competition is, is starting to do the same, so we are now already looking for bringing it next level and taking a bit more time to to get that technology up and running. Uh, that's the thing we all, yeah, maybe miscalculated last time. Like we thought we were going to pull it off in eight months, while well, we actually needed twenty months.
0: Well, we're getting towards the end of the show and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us and sharing with the listeners all your experience. And I have one last question that I want to ask you before we we end today's episode. If you had to give advice to somebody who's starting in our industry or somebody who's keen and wants to get into this game, what would you say to them?
1: I meet a lot of people who, who literally ask it to me and they're all like, hey, hire me, hire me. And I'm like... Everybody should find his own part in the industry because everybody wants to do something else you can't copy. The best things you can do is stay learning. Look around what other geeks are doing, what technologies show up. Feel free to ask questions on Facebook groups or on WhatsApp or on trade shows. Never think that you know it all. Because there's uh you can always learn something. It might be the stupidest thing ever, but you can always learn something. And just stay friendly, stay yourself. Uh not be an asshole or not pull shit off with other operators like steal their jobs or work for a lower fee and steal the job. Just take take the long road. If if you're talented and willing to do it, you will you will get there. But if you take the short road with fucking up other people and then you're just in for the short run because every you will get a reputation and it's such a small industry everybody knows everybody yeah stay friendly try to learn if you have free time contact with a guy on facebook like if you see oh that guy is in time with the show try to contact him if you can see even doing sound check or doing programming how does he do it and learn learn from that so I build
0: so build a network stay humble and never stop learning
1: yeah i think that's that's the key to to get it this inter, this industry I, I i've learned that when you want to go into the touring part it's like 40% skill that you need but you definitely need 60% of people management. If you're an asshole, you will disappear within a few years or months even. And if you're nice and you if you're nice and your skills are not top-notch, but you're good, they will hire you. But if you're the best programmer or operator, but you're a fucking asshole, nobody will call you. That's and it. that's what everybody should remember. That's awesome. people game.
0: Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Christoph Blankart thank you for joining us on luminaries the podcast. I wish you the best of luck, and I will we will definitely keep following you and watching your beautiful journey. And please look on the links below to see some of Christoph's work and have a look at some of his photos. And if you have any questions, be sure to send them to me, and I'll forward them to Christoph. Thank you, Christoph. Hey,
1: thanks, Christoph. Speak to you
0: soon, man. Speak to you soon, brother.